It's longer time. Yay! Yay. Lager Time Poems, Stories and Thoughts By me, Paul Creek Who else? Greetings, bonjour What's happening? Welcome to Lager Time It's a Sunday Sunday? What the fuck is going on Paul? You're slipping, son. Yeah. Been another busy week. Not had time to record. Been sorting out the studio today. Me and the wife put a shelf up. Well, I held it. She did all the drilling and measuring. She's good with that kind of thing. I'm not. It's a little tricky at the moment. Lots of workshops and general running about. Not complaining, though. It's work and it's needed. Yesterday, I was outside St. Paul's Cathedral, writing poems on request with the Poetry Takeaway. Met some nice people, wrote them some poems. Some of them alright, some of them shite. It's how it goes. Tried my best though. Large up man like Dan Sue, who came up and said hello. Funny thing happened this week. My wife and I were working out what we were doing for the week, and I said that I needed to record this podcast. Meaning this, Lager Time. She said, what podcast? I said, Lager Time, the one that I've been doing almost every week for a year now. She went, oh, I thought that was the EP you were recording. She obviously wasn't listening when I told her I was big in Kazakhstan. Anyway, here's another satellite story. Kind of similar to the first one. But there you go, it's all based on real things that happened. Enjoy. Have a banging week. Paul. Satellite Stories, Volume 4. All's Fair in Tartan Paint. Though it took a long time to heed, I learned as a nipper that fairness was more of an ideal and less of a reality. I also knew, instinctively, unfortunately, and reluctantly, that so much of life is about trade-offs. When the big man, the gods, your god, their god, mother nature and whoever else were all banging out the terms and cons for this living luck, some little melt with a clipboard probably interrupted that meeting insisting on fairness being built in. I'm sure they all would have looked at each other, laughed, rubbed his hair, then sent the prick away to fetch some tartan paint. But what there was, was trade-offs. No matter how much I yearned and moaned for fairness, I was born into trade-offs. There were nine of us, including mum and dad, probably compensating for a lack of personal space, each one of us was highly possessive of our own things. You had to ask to borrow someone else's things. We didn't have that many things, but we liked our things and held these things close, even when there were hand-me-downs, which a lot of my things were. This was the unwritten rule. Don't touch my things. We lived in a four-bedroom house in Hawley, a fairly quiet commuter town with a fairly low crime rate. 
you might get in a fight playing football at Oakwood or you might get started on or at the very least get some verbal like wanker and gay boy walking through the court lodge estate to the swimming pool. But all in all, it weren't that bad. Mates would come round and say it was posh. It probably was compared to parts of Crawley which tended to have smaller houses and a higher chance of getting your gaff burgled, your car nicked or your face punched in town or if staying local, robbed outside the Londis when you only wanted a curly-whirly. But back in the safety of home, once the bills were paid, and as far as I know, they always were, we were skint. Loved, looked after, but skint. The ticks on the noble list of a roof, heating, food and marching us every week across town come rain or shine, blizzard our hell to church, didn't matter to this kid. Not then. I wanted what a lot of my mates got. Ticks on my trainers and trips to Disneyland and maybe some jammy dodgers in the biscuit tin or at least some own brand chocolate digestives. Own brand plain digestives on their own just like lacked chocolate. The game changed when mum and dad got a car. Must have been about 12. Couple of my older siblings had left home and dad must have had a couple of promotions. The golden age had arrived in the form of a ninth hand sea reg cherry red Volvo estate. Old enough to be missing seatbelts in the back and big enough to squeeze in me and my six siblings if three of us were in the boot and ducking down for fear of overzealous neighbours and bored coppers on patrol. I remember feeling slightly disappointed when dad drove it home. It was a bit tatty and it didn't have any hubcaps. In my head, all decent motors had hubcaps. Instead, there were these rusty wheel spokes, which my dad painted silver, meaning if you looked at the wheels for no more than about a split second, they looked new-ish. Kells, who lived down the road, told me within about 24 hours that our new car was older than his nan, was probably as fast as his nan, and probably smelt like his nan. His own words. But it was a car and it meant we, well mum and dad really, didn't have to lug a week's worth of shopping for several eager mouths up the hill and past the station using our hands in this old trolley that mum had. And if it was raining, it meant we wouldn't get soaked just to go to church. Hail to hail. Despite the excitement though, they weren't really driving us to many other places, aside from Aldershot to see relatives. Get the train was the usual response upon request for a lift, which kind of defeated the object of having a motor, but you know. And then I was 13. I got a bike, a mountain bike, with 18 gears. I was chuffed, mate. Felt like I was catching up with the other kids. My dad must have got some sort of deal because me and my brother got the very same bike, identical. Alas, it was a mountain bike though, with 18 gears. The brakes had failed on the tatty third damn BMX I had numerous times, proving a bit hairy when out doing my paper round. The golden age had delivered. Again. We had a motor. I had a bike. I was earning dough. I had some pubes. My voice had broke and I'd seen a jazz mag. The only thing missing was a Sega Saturn. And Sky TV. Or at least Cable and maybe a trip to Universal Studios, or at least Alton Towers. 
and some jammy dodgers and maybe some trainers that cost more than £20. But somewhere deep within me, lavished with all these gifts, which almost put me on a material par with my mates, I knew there was a trade deficit to be rectified. It was the rules, which were unfair and arbitrary. I must have been asking for too much. Mum was a teaching assistant and worked at the primary school we all attended, St Francis RC School in Southgate Crawley, right near Moe's house. It was a 20 minute walk to Wilfrid's, my secondary school. And on the occasions when I missed the bus, I'd jump in the car with mum and walk from there. I hated the bus. It was long, it was noisy and would knacker me out. The constant din of inane conversations. All this before I'd even got to school. Like getting kicked in the shins whilst on your way to being punched in the face. But now I had a bike, which fit in the big spacious boot. I could sling the thing in there and give a big wanker sign to all those mugs on the bus. Get a lift with mum. Get out of St Francis. Meet my mate Mo and ride to school like the kids in ET on their BMXs wearing massive headphones. And ride back in time for mum leaving at the end of the day. I almost felt normal. Almost. The one day I get up late to go to school and miss the bus. Cool. I'll go with mum. I go to get the bike out of the shed. It's got a puncture. No problem, I think. I'll walk. I've got my Walkman and some badly copied World Dance Jungle compilation. So I jump in with mum. We get stuck in traffic somewhere around Three Bridges and I wind up running late. I hate being late. Permutations start playing in my head and swirling about like a stew that never stops boiling, becoming increasingly toxic the longer it goes on. Like Hollyoaks, the late night editions. So I dive out the car as mum pulls in at St Francis. I see the younger brother of Kells outside the gate holding some poor kid by the collar and saying something to him. The kid is sort of straining and smiling at the same time. I know that feeling. Fortunately, I had no time to intervene, but I hope for a brief moment that the kid found some bollocks. It's the thought that counts. I ran for a good few minutes until I was out of breath and sweating. Pay up time. With probably two thirds of the way to go, I stood somewhere along Malthouse Road, thinking about the long incline of Goffs Park Road up ahead, which I'd need to climb. I weren't getting to school on time. No way. So I relaxed my run down to a walk. Figure I'm probably going to be late anyway. That brain killer's screw face tune has just kicked in, making the one working earphone I've got fart. So much for the mega bass. But it's still sick. Blasting the tunes, I temporarily managed to subdue the head tsunami, bringing a temporary moment of calm. Almost forgetting what it was I was doing, walking through this part of Crawley at this time of day. I'd passed Southgate shops, which was always a potential flashpoint for purveyors of Crawley's infamous shakedown routine. Got a pound, bruv. The not quite a mugging mugging. Like a legal hire without the psychoactive element. Just the psycho. Certainly in the case of Ronnie Wader, who was known to knock about there. Once I got to the other side of Horsham Road, I'd be on the home straight, straight to school, and whatever fate waited for me there, which was probably a telling off, a detention, before a normal academic looking out the window service would resume. 
So I get to the entrance of this small park and stop for a sec. I'd once been in there with Gareth a few years before, looking at a copy of Club International we'd nicked from his older brother. I remember the centrefold was called Gloria. The park's got this small little entrance tucked between a row of terraced houses, almost obscured from the street. I like a good public footpath and the occasional bridleway, especially the ones where you don't quite know where it went. I enjoy the momentary distraction of wondering where it goes. I want to run down it. Just beyond the gate, I could see some green. There was extra grass, inferring that it might be that bit of adventure we all seek. Or maybe just me. There's no one about. It must have been gone nine. All the kids are in school and people at work. I get past the entrance to the park, briefly inquire about the ITs in green space it contained within, decide not to enter, but then feel some sort of presence. Not sure. Don't like it. So I crack on and cross the road. Then the debt collector arrives. Why, mate? Mate, yeah you bruv, come here. Me? Yeah bruv, come here. This guy was tall and fairly thick set wearing a long black puffer jacket. He looked like he could be mixed race or Middle Eastern or Greek or Italian maybe. It was hard to say but his accent was a local one. Never understood that tactic of rude boys to give the Oi, come here. What dickhead would respond to that? He calls me over. I go over. Dickhead. Like a shite strike, butterflies start panic buying bread in my belly. Hollyoaks just went dark again. He's a bit taller than me, but it feels like he's towering over me. Eyes are looking down at me, slightly slanted, with his chin tucked in a bit. He looks familiar. He moves a little closer, one hand in his pocket, the other smoking a fag. Just want to chat to you, bruv. Chill for a sec. Where are you going? He knows. I know. But does he though? I don't want to know. But he wants something. I know that and so does he. Maybe he wants directions. School. I'm running late. You ain't running though. My voice goes up an octave. My feet are tap dancing. Then an inconvenient thought pops up. Like that mate who doesn't read social cues. I'm wearing my school uniform. Isn't it obvious where I'm going? What school do you go to? Again, I'm wearing the uniform. St. Wilfrid's. He takes a drag of his cigarette, looks at the ground, spits, then looks at me. You were the Ryan White? Um, like, maybe. I think so. Like, maybe. I lie. I know who he is. I'm looking at the cunt. Knew I recognised him. This is one prick I don't really want to be bumping into. Yeah? So what they been saying about him up there? Now, in the Crawley School Hardness League tables, Wilfrid's was probably lower mid-tier, like a stable Southampton surviving in the Premiership. Mainly by virtue of it being a lot smaller than the other schools and its catchment area being more geographically mixed meaning it drew a fair few middle-class kids in from Horsham, East Grinstead and a few from Hawley, which melted up the cohort a bit. However, it had its faces and names, and my year was no exception. 
Names that lingered around cruelly like rude boys outside the local shops, shaking kids down for pounds. In this case, they were probably the same kids. Even Kells was well known as a brawler, and by the looks of things, his brother was going the same way. Uh, I don't know, like... This prick is talking about himself, in the third person. Who does that, apart from wrestlers? I weren't even a white boy, and I knew that this prick was not that well respected. He was known as more like a street rat, the sort of cunt that would break into your house or steal your bike, even if you were mates with him. But it didn't make him any less dangerous for a no-name like me, and I'd heard he carried a blade. Sounds like his family was a Jeremy Kyle case, and I'd heard he'd taken a few severe beatings, but that meant probably he ain't scared of much, and he could probably take me if he wanted to, but as yet, I'm still not sure what his motive is here. Safe, safe. Well, you got any money for me, yeah? And there it is. He goes from a leg lean to a slight lean forward, chin moving towards the floor, but eyes very much on me. I'm still sweating and out of breath, and my heartbeat is beating faster than it was before. There's no one around. Uh, like, nah. Sorry. So what's that in your pocket? My wallet was sticking out, bulging with the pound coins from my paper round. Ah, uh, like, it's not like... What, you lying to me, yeah? He moves in further. I can smell that cocktail of fags, B.O. and faint notes of Lynx Indigo. Or is it Africa? Chill out, bruv. I ain't trying to rob you, huh? Come on, let's see what you got. No one around. Autopilot. Wallet out. Empty out the coins compartment. Must have been about five pound and shrapnel. Even the shrapnel broke my nut. Palm full of nuggets, fifties, tens and twenties. That beautiful mix of silver and gold. Hard earned slogging newspapers around. He hands back about 30p. Yeah, that'll do, yeah? Nice one. If I ever see you in town, I'll sort you out, bruv. You're safe. I just got robbed by Ryan White. It wasn't even a proper mugging. It was like the demo version, like a Premier League side putting out their youngsters for a round two League Cup tie. Thanks, yeah? Safe. Thanks. Thanks. What was I thanking him for? Not taking my wallet? Letting me keep a bit of change? 30p? Well, at least I can still get a curly-whirly. I trudged back up to school, musing on his offering of sorting me out in town, like... What are the terms and conditions of this? When can I call it in? Or was it just something people say like, let's go out sometime? Why didn't I bang him in the fucking jaw? Bang him and run? But then, who knows? He might have stabbed me or something. Why weren't he even at school? Got to school. Got that detention. Slept walk through the rest of the day as usual. Got the bus back with all them other mugs. Listening to people like Kells chatting non-stop bollocks. Get home. Figure I should attempt to fix the puncture on my bike. Open the shed. Shit. Quickly realise it was my brother's bike that had the puncture. Not mine. Not fair. It's tartan paint. Trade-offs, mate. It's longer time. Yeah. Lager time. 
own stories and thoughts by me, Paul Cree. Who else? The brakes had failed on the tatty third and BMX I had numerous times, proving a bit hairy when out doing my paper round. The golden age had delivered. I can't fast fuck off fucking windows, cunt. Fucking window bullshit.